Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and as always, you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. The owners of great shops tend to have their fingers on the pulse of what gear is holding up well, what gear isn't holding up well, and they tend to get a constant stream of feedback from their customers about a whole variety of products. So in today's conversation, I'm talking with Eric Helmbricht, the owner of Powderhound Ski Shop in Girdwood, Alaska. And since Powderhound is located right at the base of Alieska Ski Resort, Eric and his crew are often getting that customer feedback pretty instantly, right when skiers and snowboarders are getting off the mountain. So today, Eric is going to share with us some of that feedback he gets from his customers, and then also what he sees as the most promising product developments. He lets us know which gear keeps coming back to his shop broken, what equipment he himself is opting to use this season, and we wrap up by talking about what might be the most Alaskan thing ever. Before we get started, I want to remind you that our next Blister Speaker Series at Western Colorado University will be taking place this coming Thursday, March 28th at 6 p.m. on the campus of Western in Gunnison, Colorado. And our guest is going to be one of our favorite people here at Blister, Dan Abrams, the president and co-founder of Flylo. As always, this is a free event that is open to the public and we would love to see all of you there. And now, let's talk about AK and new gear and stuff that breaks and stuff that doesn't break with Eric Helmbrecht of Powderhound Ski Shop in Girdwood, Alaska. Eric, how are you doing today? Doing well. Yeah, it's good to be back on Gear 30, and thanks for having me. (laughs) Nice. Where are you currently? I am sitting in my home in Girdwood, Alaska, looking out at a nice little rainforest day uh, in the spring. So you escaped the shop. Yeah. 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 It's <laughs> rare, but, uh, you got to do it sometime. This is a rare event. You, you're actually at home while well, I, I feel like honored and, uh, or apologetic that I've, I've taken you, uh, taken you away from Powderhound for the moment. Um, but speaking of which it's always fun for me to check in with shop owners and just get a little bit of how it's going. And you've been running Powderhound for, I think it's like seven years now. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. We started about seven years ago. So over these seven years in Girdwood, how have things evolved? What are things looking like today? Give me some insight from the point of view of a, of a shop owner. Well, things, things have been great over the last seven years. There's nothing really to complain about. We started in a really small space, so um, it was nice to not have to buy a ton of inventory to get started. And uh, the community took well to it. We've had uh, one one of our employees since day one still, uh, Corey Anderson, and he we brought him over from the shop that conveniently closed down the year before we opened. And, uh, and so bringing that kind of friendly face over to the new store where we're at now and uh, and just just growing in general, it's been a blast. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say it's something for everybody, but uh, we've we've really enjoyed seeing where it's gone. And um, you know, now I'm lucky to have my my sister and my wife working with me on a daily basis, and uh, kind of turn it into a little bit of a family business. Just to clarify, sister and wife, not 
your sister is not your wife, right? <laughs> we, let's keep this. Sister's uh, not. No, no, no. We're, uh, we're <laughs> we we joke about areas of Alaska that are somewhat like the deep south that you might do something like that. But my sister and my wife also. <laughs> <laughs> just just wanted to get that clear for the record. So <laughs> sweet. Um, yeah. Well, and I think one of the things when we talked last spring, it seemed like you guys were ramping things up on the bike side. You've been a sort of ski shop, but you're not just a ski shop. No, no. Um, the downhill scene here is definitely growing and we have jumped on board with that big time. Uh, we had something ridiculous, like 180% growth last summer wow. um, from the year before. And we're going into our fifth year as a bike shop. So the first two years, we were not uh, really much of, much of anything in the summer. We kind of shut down one summer and tried doing just regular kind of outdoor type store and um, the local bike shop and kind of went out of business. So instead of trying to compete with them the first two years, um, that, that third summer, we decided, okay, it's time. And since then, it's just been a steadily growing, uh, growing business. And in general, Alaska and everywhere that I've heard is just booming with, you know, buffed out, fun trails being built everywhere. Newer bikes are just incredible to, you know, ride everybody that gets on. We have a pretty nice rental and demo fleet. And, uh, I don't know, it's just a really good thing for people to do in the Valley. We, we have good temps for biking almost every day of the summer. It never gets over. Rarely does it get over 80 degrees. So going on big, long rides is no big deal. We're, we're going to get talking here quickly about some ski gear, but I'm curious what you personally these days are kind of most into. I presume you're skiing. You're right there. Powderhound's located right there at Alieska. So I'm going to assume that you get at least a decent amount of time uh, skiing in bounds. What is the kind of, in terms of your free time, are you getting much time backcountry skiing these days? And then are you on the bike in the summer or what are you doing? What are you personally doing? Well, as much as I would love to have more time off in the winter than the summer, the way things have gone, I actually get my butt on a bike almost every day in the summer. And in the wintertime, uh, since we are a bit busier in the winter, it's definitely, you know, you got to put your time in work in, but we definitely all get a fair amount of skiing. And this year seems like everyone I've talked to is doing more resort skiing than backcountry um, as opposed to previous years. So it's kind of a interesting trend. That's been fun to at least check out. And, um, you know, it's weird to talk to everybody. You, just, you know, the last few years, everyone's been getting more and more in the backcountry. And, and uh, now they're saying resort skiing is kind of what's up. This feels like a trend to you, or you think this is just in your, in the little Girdwood community, this tends to be a thing? Because that would be interesting if you've just put your, your thumb on a, on a bit of a shift where maybe we're going to start talking less about backcountry stuff. And people are like, you know, what's pretty fun and convenient, like riding chairlifts. <laughs> um, I, you know, we've been trying to, like you said, put our finger on what it is about that this year. And maybe it's just that the resort's been skiing pretty well and the backcountry hasn't, hasn't had its long stretches of being stable or that, the common parking lots that people go to are starting to fill up and 
maybe it's just growth in the industry in general, which would be nice. But that aside, this is this is go time for touring starting, you know, a couple of weeks ago. So we've got a long spring ahead of us of, you know, longer, longer days where we can get out touring. So maybe that that will shift into most people just putting it off until later in the spring. There seems like a lot of areas of the country have been really fortunate in terms of snowfall this year. And are we allowed to say that maybe we can give a pat on the back to the ski community? And it's like, yeah, guess what? When it snows a lot, you're not supposed to be heading out into the backcountry. And so, you know, might we be optimistic and, and assume that people are just like being smart? I think, yeah, I think. I think the pat on the back goes to the avalanche centers across the U.S. and being so informative and putting great info on other websites, um, teaching classes. We actually were able to uh, partner with a local guide and instructor here to do a Backcountry 101, which is a pre-level one backcountry course. And I've heard those are starting to pop up around the the country too, which is getting people ready for Avi One because people that have never been in the backcountry shouldn't necessarily just go right into Avi One. Uh, they need to actually know how to use their gear instead of learning that on day one in the backcountry. So, um, so that was fun. But I think in general, yeah, we need to just be really grateful for all the. I know the the Chugach National Forest uh, Information Center here has just has done incredible things, and they've been around for. 20 years now. So every year people get more knowledge up and smarter in the backcountry, which yeah, it's all good. Yeah. Avi centers have been doing good work. If then we as a ski community are just paying more attention to that work, I think we could definitely chalk that up as a extremely positive development. So here's hoping that's the case. It's always fun talking gear with you and, and, you know, some other shop owners we go do our thing and get on different gear and, and we know what sort of we like, but it's always really interesting to me to, I think, especially in your case, being based right there in Alaska with a different snowpack than we have here in the Rocky Mountains, just kind of getting your take on the kind of feedback you're getting from customers who are coming in and out every single day. So it's always a fun opportunity for me to get to ask you about just some of the gear that you have been particularly psyched on this season, whether that's boots or skis or apparel or whatever, the floor is yours and I'm all ears. All right. Um, you know, there is some product that has carried over from last season's technology where they're going into year two of it. And, uh, one of that being for boots, the atomic Hawks lineup, uh, we, you know, their, their best-selling boot is the prime, which is the hundred last up to 106 after you cook it, um, up here, a lot of people like a little bit of a tighter fit. Maybe it's the wet snowpack, maybe it's the steeper skiing. Um, you know, our, our average skier that we see is a, a level three skier. So, um, we're, we're kind of blessed to be able to sell a lot of gear to good skiers, but, uh, or people that, you know, aspire to be it soon. And, so that boot has done really, really well for us. Um, the weight savings of it, the custom shell option of it is better than any other boot that we've been getting our hands on. And, uh, and so very, very stoked on that boot, um, the Hawks Ultra uh, men's and women's. And that kind of comes down to price point too with that, you know, that 85 starting at a sub 300 cost boot. Uh, that's unheard of for how well that thing skis and uh, performs. So 
Um, aside from that, you know, we can go into a touring boot that did really well this year is the Technica Zero G, the Guide Pro. That thing, uh, there was one day this fall, and I was real hesitant. It's a $900 boot, and, uh, you know, it's a full $100 jump from a lot of boots in previous years. And there was a day this fall where I think I sold nine in one day. Wow. And and we, let's put it this way, we only pre, for our preseason, we only ordered seven pair just to test the waters. So this was people coming on and trying it on at the same time as others saying, I'll get one on order, I'll get one on order. And uh, so that boot had a really good kickoff for us this fall. And I got a pair myself and have been really enjoying it. Um, I don't, have you skied that boot? Yeah. I mean, we are super high on that product and, um, what we had kind of said, I think I literally wrote this in our buyer's guide was if that Solomon shift binding hadn't been our product of the year, it would have been the, the zero G tour pro. I think that boots incredible. Yeah. Good. Glad we're on the same page. It's, um, easy to, easy to maneuver the plastic on it. The liner's decent and what a, improvement from last year's zero g lineup yeah and then uh on with that the dinafit hoji hmm. boot and uh that you know i again it was kind of like all right this is an interesting boot and the fit of it didn't fit me well but that doesn't mean it's not going to sell uh it's got a real roomy forefoot which was actually taken well by our customers you know um so we don't have to do a bunch of work on it and I've had some customers come back after skiing that boot on the resort, which is not my most recommended boot for the resort, but you know, they go and test it there and they say this skis way better than my, you know, whatever boot they currently have. And, uh, so I've been impressed with the feedback from that boot and next year going into that Hoji free, will be kind of a cool thing to see. Yeah. I, I didn't ski that first Hoji boot just because of the volume of it. So yeah, I'm chomping at the bit to get into the the narrower version. It just wasn't going to be a great fit for my foot, but um, that Hoji free will be very interesting and just going to be very interested to see uh, how that Hoji free stacks up against these other very good contenders out there uh, at the, at the moment. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always torn on, so it's nice to have that nine, five, two, three sole to fit into whatever binding you want to go into, but there is a difference when you're walking uphill or on flats or whatever, just striding, having, uh, that, that toe lug and the tech part piece farther back into the boot, like the Hoji has this year, uh, going in a Hoji free, it'll be a little, a little bit further out. And I've felt the difference going from one to the other, uh, on a daily tour where you feel like you're almost not not necessarily, but you have that feeling of maybe being in a plated uh, touring binding rather than on a tech binding. So that is something. And it, if you explain it to customers, then it kind of gets them too confused because most of them are getting into a, maybe their first tech setup or they may never know the difference because they're not focused on gear all the time like we are. Uh, but there is something to be said for that. You know, If you're going to be using it in an Alpine binding, it makes total sense to be in that sole. But if not, then why not? cut that back and, and, uh, have it a little bit farther back on the boot. I want to go back for a second. Cause we, we, you touched on it really quickly that you liked the results you were getting from heat molding the atomic Hawks boots. Mm -hmm. seems like we are seeing more products coming 
onto the market of, you know, like heat moldable shells. Are you in favor of that trend? Or do you think it's overblown? Do you pine for the old days where we just punched boots, et cetera? Where are you at on that front? You know, it, in, in my mind, so I've actually had a Hawks 130 for the last two seasons. And I feel like it actually does a pretty decent job. And you can see, you know, from from certain race kids that we put in the atomic custom shell to just your average free skier, you can see it kind of maneuver. It's not going to be a full custom. I mean, it is, it does a little canting of the cuff and changes around the foot, but um, you always, you know, if someone's going to have an issue, you're probably going to have to punch it afterwards anyways. But what it does is it, as a sales tactic, it, it really lets the customer eases them into that boot rather than having to go in the back shop and, heat it up and put different tools in there and really explain that and just say, Hey, you know what, if you don't like the way it feels after we cook it, then we'll just cook it back to normal shape and get you into something else. And they're all a hundred out of a hundred times they're in that boot and happy once it's cooked. So that's, you know, from a shop standpoint, it makes it nice that way. And same with the new Solomon S lab shells. Those have been pretty good. Um, but I found the atomic works a little bit better. Interesting. Um, what are you seeing on the Avi bag front that you are liking? Anything new catching your eye? So we've done the Jet Force from Black Diamond in the past couple years and had pretty good luck with those. Uh, price point being a little higher, you know, not everybody could grab one, but uh, but in general, that's where we've seen most of our Avi bag sales go. Uh, this year, Scott dropped a bag called the Patrol, and it, you know, it came in one size, which I was a little weary about. Um, and then the new system that it uses, instead of the, it's still a battery, but it's it's way lighter than the original Jet Force, and it's called the Alpride system. And you know, you plug it in with the USB, and it charges once, and then you carry two double A's. You pop them in there. If you ever have to use the the one charge, you can charge it again with a couple of double A's. It takes about an hour. So by the time you get back up into some some more terrain, it'd be ready to go. And uh, and the weight savings is great. The other benefit, just like the Jet Force, is you can take it on an airplane, which we have people all the time up here traveling to go heli skiing or backcountry skiing, and they want to bring their canister bags. Well, then they got to you know, designate time to go fill that canister because you can't fly with it. So what we do is we stock, uh, we try to stock a number of different full canisters uh, for the bulk of the season so that if those people come in, they don't have to worry about it. We can just sell them a new canister. But then, you know, after a certain amount of time, you've got how many canisters if you're not traveling with it. And, uh, and so this answers a lot of those questions. And it's a really nice other features on both bags. The Jet Force Tour came out, uh, you know, a couple months ago, and um, you know to compete with that Scott Patrol, and so we sold through the Scott Patrols and then got uh, a new lineup of the Jet Force Tours in, and you know so far the response has been great. I mean, if you put it hand in hand with a, a regular Jet Force, you're going to be blown away by the weight savings. However, you know the Jet Force still has its its pros over anything, you know if you can put up with a little weight, but yeah, that's kind of, we, that's what we've seen this year. And I'm uh, really excited to see where this is moving to. Yeah. Super interesting space. 
I want to ask you about bindings. Um, this is always a topic. We get a ton of questions about this on Blister. Um, do you and your crew at Powderhound have strong opinions um, on either Alpine bindings or AT or Alpine touring bindings? Any that you particularly like or particularly don't like and why? So let's start with AT, I suppose. Um, that MTN, that Salmon MTN binding, um, we sold through those a few times this year. And, you know, I didn't really see that as being a, a heavy hitter when I first got into them last year. And then, you know, since then we've been, you know, up in our orders and uh, people love the weight savings. It's a real simple binding to use. Uh, uh, my wife, Lindsay, got a pair this year and you know, she's very new in the backcountry and just watching her maneuver the binding in the backcountry for the first time, it was, you know, it just seemed real smooth. Um, so that's, you know, a benefit of going that lighter weight style. The kingpin came back virtually unchanged, unfortunate for the recall we saw last year or this fall. Um, that was kind of a pain in the neck for every shop owner, I'm sure. But coming out, you know, we've sold through those again this year. And the biggest one was the shift. And thanks to people like you guys uh, pumping that binding up, people were stoked on it. And we honestly, until two days ago, we didn't have a shift arrive to our store that didn't already, that wasn't already paid for. So preseason, we ordered a bunch of them. And all summer long, people kept saying, put my name on one, put my name on one. And so when they came in, we would have it on the shelf. We just had one on the shelf until that person came to pick it up and then it would be gone, you know? And, um, and I know Solomon and Atomic had a hard time keeping them in stock too, but we just got, they released a few more this spring and we just got another bulk of them, um, with only a couple that had people's names on them. So we're kind of excited to finally <laughs> have a stock of them. And we saw of all the bindings we sold and everyone else sold this year, we see warranties come in from whatever shop sells them or online or whatever, uh, we saw one shift issue and that was it, which I was pretty impressed. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've had a couple, you know, emails and I've seen some comments, I don't know, around the internet or something about people still raising questions or having concerns about, you know, durability with the shift or break issues. And I mean, we, we were on that binding right when it was first unveiled God, was that only last season? It feels like 10 years ago now, but, and have put a bunch of days on several pairs now and no product is ever going to have 100%, you know, th that there's not going to be an issue with any pair in production. That doesn't happen. That's not, that doesn't exist, but ours have just been functioning really well. And it's interesting to hear that you guys have, haven't had issues on those either. We're still extremely high on that product. That's good. Yeah. I mean, I, the, the way that it skis on just, I mean, I got to ski it again in Big Sky uh, for some testing last month and just got to go, you know, put it to the, the ringer on the resort and it was snowing a bunch and chopped up and everything. And it just, uh, just really, really handled, I, you know, I forgot I was skiing on it, essentially a tech binding really, you know, and you get to the base and you look down and you're like, oh, oh, nice. These things feel just like an STH. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty wild. I've I've told this story in the past that when Solomon had their launch for that binding, I didn't I wasn't going to go. 
I just was like, yeah, I don't like hybrid stuff. Like I like dedicated Alpine equipment and, and dedicated touring equipment. And they were like, no, you, we think you should probably come to this. And I, so like against my better judgment, like I, I did. And then exactly as you said, and this is what we wrote on the site, it was like, I was skiing that binding in a head Raptor 140 RS, you know, boot and then would jump back into an STH and a marker jester. And is like, well, I can't really notice the difference on my feet. Um, that was pretty mind blowing for me. So that's, hence, that's why we've talked about it so much. Exactly. Um, I think it is always interesting to get your take on equipment that you think works particularly well, you know, let's say at Alieska or just in coastal snowpacks or whatever. And I think it was in our last conversation that maybe you were, uh, confessing that you were not necessarily the world's biggest fan of like the Rosignol Soul 7 in part because you're just like, look, we ski a lot of heavy, denser snow and a lighter ski um, with that construction. Um, maybe as far from your point of view, it's not the best tool for the job in that kind of snowpack. Um, and by the way, this is not to hate on the Soul 7. Again, our senior editor, Sam Shaheen, loves that ski, right? And he's skiing it in a Rocky Mountain snowpack. So it's not to hate on that ski at all, but it does make me always just curious, like what are maybe one or two skis that you are consistently sending out the door that when you do, your customers come back and are like, I had a great day on this. I would say, yeah, the, you know, the any ski that's got a real light tip and tail has a hard time deflecting uh, or, you know, kind of punching through and just tends to deflect on the, the firm snow. Uh, that being said, I've been wowed with, you know, I didn't really realize until placing next year's order uh, a few weeks ago for Blizzard that the wrestlers have been selling so well. You know, I know we've reordered many times, but that ski, it's it's got a lightweight tip and tail. And so, um, it's, again, it's one of those things we kind of brought in a few of, and then we've just been nonstop reordering. Uh, the 10, uh, more than the 11, but, uh, the 10 is, I mean, the 11's, you know, sold all right as well. It's just a bigger ski. And so that 102 underfoot and then up in the bigger sizes, 104 underfoot is a real popular size. And, you know, so if someone's looking for a ski that they can, can hold a decent edge on, but can also smear around and, um, you know, maybe ski a little switch, whatever they want to do. We've got a handful of our free, free ride kids on that ski. On the uh, 10. On yeah. the 10. Oh, yeah. I got to get back on this ski. Have you spent much time on that ski? Yeah, and I'll be honest. I didn't like it when I tested it. Yeah, same with me. Yeah, I was like, yeah, kind of a dud, you know. And then I skied it a little more and really got to enjoy it. And watching some of these kids and how they're progressing on this ski is pretty amazing. You know, from the they make a, a wrestler team pro and that's uh, 164 only, but it's exact same as the 10 um, and pretty much maybe a little lighter wood in it. Um, but anyways, from that size up to the bigger sizes, you know, we're watching our kids podium all across the U.S. when they're, you know, most of the West, but when they're traveling to compete and that's the ski they're on, which is pretty sweet, you know, um, that a lightweight ski can do that. And so I would, I would urge you to try it again because I've, 
I've not, I, you know, I got the Rustler 11 with a kingpin on it for my kind of more sled, but somewhat touring ski. And I love that thing in soft snow. So I would urge you to, to try it again. But, uh, you know, aside from that, what else has been, uh, you know, the Nordicas are always great for us. Um, but we sold more Rustler 10s than, uh, than uh, Enforcer 100s this year. Wow. Which blew me away. Yeah, yeah. You, you just blew my mind. Yep, I know. We sold we sold more Enforcer 110s than both the others, but the 100 and the and now so next year we've got and we've already started selling them, but the Enforcer 104 and that there we go is you know more of a competition with that Rustler, but even so a different ski. It's got two sheets of metal, full tip to tail with the balsa core, so lightweight people can smear it around, but it holds a real good edge. And you've skied that that 104. Um, so you know about that. It's, that's going to be the crusher next year, I think for us. You would predict right now that your sales of the 104 will overtake sales of the Enforcer 110? I think so. Just because, uh, the trend in, in the industry has been like, okay, we went real wide and then, and now it was like, oh, this is the, the year of the groomer ski or whatever, uh, you know, and then going down to, you know, mid 80 with skis, which is great and all. But we still up here, we're seeing everyone get into that 110 and love it. And so if you can get them onto a 104 where it's not going to be such a long day on real firm snow, they can carve that 104 around, but still do a lot on the 110. Yes, the 110 would be uh, as far as like deep snow jumping on the North Face or whatever. Um, you know, in my mind, they should have one of each, but that's just me. <laughs> that's just you. <laughs> Gear whore. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you kind of just blew my mind with the whole uh, the Rustler Ten is outselling the Enforcer One Hundred. I would have I would have bet serious money the other way on that, especially given your location. I know, and it's not like people blindly buy skis. We're at the base; we have a demo center, so everyone's testing it, and uh, all kinds of skiers have loved that thing. Because you know, one of the other reasons we sell is because it is a decent touring option. So if you put, you know, put a kingpin or a, um, whatever binding you want, tech binding on it, you know, we just sold one with a shift, uh, the other day that, that went together as a kind of a nice package for a one ski quiver. Okay. So that then totally makes sense to me, right? If people are putting AT bindings on Rustler tens, like, yeah, like I, I'm not putting an AT binding on an, on an enforcer 100, but that said, I mean, but are you, I, I take it, you're still seeing a lot of those Rustler 10s go out the door with an Alpine binding. Oh yeah. The majority okay. of them. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Hmm. I need to have, a, I need to come to Girdwood and have a talk with these people. <laughs> yeah. sit, them, sit them around a campfire and we can have it out. Yeah. Or just go ski with them and see what the, what the story is. You know, you never <laughs> know until you ski with someone, you, you could sell them one thing and they ski completely different, you know? And to your point, I think it's time for me to get back on the on the ten and, and check it out. And apparently, Blizzard has made some slight construction tweaks to the Rustler ten for this coming season. Minor stuff, but um, I don't know. Maybe that'll be a reason enough for for me to check that thing out again. Totally. The durability question. As a shop owner, where you have the pleasure of having people come in with broken shit. Any particular standout products 
What are you liking just in terms of on the on the durability front? So what I've been really impressed with, uh, the old Dinafit, Radical, ST and FTs, we sold a lot of, but we saw almost every single one come back to replace the heel and Dinafit. You know, we, we were tapering our business at that time with Dinafit because it was like, all right, everything we saw is breaking. Other, biz, other um, excuse me, companies were getting into the tech bindings. And so we saw a drop in our Dinafit business. And I felt bad every time we had a call and say, hey, can you send us more free stuff because we have it breaking? Uh, they, I'm sure they didn't like answering that phone call three times a week from us. Uh, but uh, then the new rotation came out and we have not had a single rotation come back. And so that paired with the new boots that, that we've been selling, we have like total sell through twice with Dinafit this year. So that's, that's good. That's a good thing for Dinafit. Good thing for everybody. So that rotation, uh, once they fix the pivoting problem on the toe that some folks were having, not being able to find the sweet spot before clicking in, um, I think that was the trick. So now it's been good to go. Um, we've had some issues with some of the Dalbello plastics in their boots. Um, the Lupo AX being the main one where the walk mode is like stressing the plastic of the, the part that locks it in underneath it. So I've heard they're, they're changing that a little bit for next year. What do you think of those boots, the Lupos? Honestly, I've, I've never skied a Dalbello boot and it's been slow us getting into current Dalbellos and current Lupos. So we're sitting here waiting and ready. And to be frank, I don't know if it's because there, there have been issues. Um, I don't know what the reason is, but um, yeah, I, we don't have a whole lot, of, lot to say about them at the moment. It could be a company, company issue more than a product issue of the reason you're not seeing it. We've had a hard time with those guys. God bless them. They, they do a good job customer service wise. Um, but when they combine forces with marker and vocal and uh, it's just a, a lot for them to take on. So yeah, someday and, you know, checking out the new, the new boots at outdoor retailer, you know, some of it certainly looks intriguing, but you know, till, till we get in it, um, I don't have a whole lot to say. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else on the durability front? Well, we'll just say Fritchie anything uh, we have <laughs> issues with. <laughs> huh. So, but that's a, that's its own deal. We don't need to get too deep into that. Uh, but uh, what we've seen, you know, I was trying to think of, you know, what, what different things have we seen that have gone wrong? And carbon touring poles. We have had more broken carbon touring poles come back this year than the previous six years. And, uh, and so I've been stressing to people as they look for new ones, say, might want to think of aluminum, that extra weight savings is on your arms and it's probably not going to be too much of a difference. So I know I've had my black diamond poles that are $80 retail for five years and I've had them to where they, they look like they were bent in half and they rebounded back to normal. But other than that, yeah, that's, those are the kind of highlights I was, that hit my mind. Okay. Any favorite price point or just kind of bang for the buck products that you're into? You know, I mentioned a little bit earlier the Hawks Ultra or just the Hawks lineup. I think for that, for their flex uh, 
in their in the lineup compared to other brands. They're a little less. And so it's good, you know, next year we've got this really sweet rear entry boot coming on the scene. But, uh, you know, I, that I believe is a little bit too high a price point where I thought that would be like their, that saber. Have you put your foot in that boot yet? I haven't. Have you? Oh my, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's wild. And we're not biting on it. Uh, we, we might, you know, we might get into it if people start asking about it. But that was a highlight of the show down at OR for Atomic was a rear entry boots coming back. And um, and their thing was, which was really strange to me, but it somewhat makes sense, was let let bad skiers stay bad. And that was kind of like the message I took from that is like, let's not try to make all these skiers great skiers. And I, I understand that, um, you know, people that just ski once or twice a year let them be comfortable and let them get in and out of their boots fine uh, without, without a struggle, which is one thing, but I'd say that that might make sense for big wide open veil groomers. Uh, But if you, if you have a, just a real cushy, comfy, loose boot up here, you're going to hurt yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. It seems like that, that could be true. So it felt when you put it on, it felt a little too loose and cushy and comfy. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it just didn't feel much like a ski boot, which I think it's going to sell great in certain areas. Uh, and I might suggest it to say, you know, I, I did a full boot fit on a 93 year old the other day with the stance assessment and everything and got him real excited about his new boots, which potentially is his last pair, sad to say, but. Um, the fact that he's getting out there a lot and skiing at 93 is great, but for those people, it might, might be nice to have a boot that he can kick on and off. Cause he's probably skiing mostly the lower mountain and not gonna, you know, aspire to get any better because he's, he's hit that peak, I think. But, uh, so that might be something where we keep it in the back pocket and say, Hey, let's, let's order you up this boot. And if you like it, great. If you don't, don't worry about it. Yeah. And I mean, I am really, really sympathetic with the idea that um, I just think like as a kind of commentary on the sport of skiing in general, I really like the idea that we are, that companies are making products that really can work well for everybody on the spectrum. And so if you've never, ever tried this sport, um, I love the idea that it's like, this is this very, very easy thing where maybe, you know, if you're skiing only one or two days a year, or maybe you've never done it. And frankly, the big thing is like the experience of riding the chairlift. I'm a hundred percent fine with that. You know, I think though, there's always going to be a question of like, okay, and you might be saying, well, but could we maybe get a bit more performance out of this? But I, I sure am glad that companies are trying to make products that um, are a bit more beginner friendly or if not beginners, you know, the occasional skier friendly. But I think then you just get into like, well, it's all about the execution, right? Exactly. Yeah, no, and I, I appreciate it too because, you know, if we're not getting people into the sport, we're all going to die we're being, off at some yeah, point, you know. It's just real stupid. Yeah. Anything else on price point or best value, or you want to move on? Um, you know, not a ton. Up with our, you know, we're we're not 
we're not a super high-end shop. We do have super high-end gear, but we also have like the mid-range stuff that we bring in for um, as our price point, you know, where people forget something and they need it for the day, say snow pants or certain types of gloves and outerwear. But for the most part, what I've seen when we, because we have harsh weather, we've got really wet snow. We've got, I mean, it's pouring rain outside right now. Um, the top of the mountain's closed because it's so windy and low visibility. So when you start bringing in price point stuff too much, it'll come back the same day say, Oh, this gear sucks. Can I return it? And it's like, well, no, you, you bought the cheap stuff. So I learned that our second year of business, we have to carry what we believe in and we can bring in some price point stuff uh, as far as clothing goes. But as far as technical gear, we have to be on point because, um, you know, we might lose one sale to someone that can't afford a, a goggle over a hundred bucks. But, you know, and we do carry goggles less than a hundred bucks, but we kind of explain to them that this is what you're getting uh, and you have to, otherwise it will come back. And they're, they're expecting to get a, a $200 goggle value out of a $60 goggle. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> That's kind of my take on price point. Yep. Do you have your like clear bestseller on the pants or jacket front? So the girls, the girls do a great job buying, you know, a spread of a bunch of stuff, um, a bunch of different brands that all have, you know, nice strafe, you know, we, Lindsay's in charge. My wife, Lindsay is in charge of doing our Instagram, uh, which she's done a great job with, I think. And, um, she put together with this young kid, these videos, um, gear of not gear of the week, but what, what do each one of us wear? So he put together a video of us walking out of the store, talking about our gear and skiing. And so super fun videos to do, got us out skiing out of the office, uh, you know, each a few days. And, um, and so I was watching them and there was a trend that I didn't notice. Like we all have very similar gear and it's not because we're getting the hookup from a company. It's because this is what we choose out of all the brands, uh, that we want to be in. And a lot of us had, uh, strafe, strafe outerwear, um, a little bit of Patagonia cause that's always good stuff. Um, but strafe was the heavy hitter for outerwear, which I thought was really cool. I've been in strafe for three seasons now and, uh, just, it just seems to be really holding up for me. And, uh, some of the early stuff was a little lighter weight, but now they've come a long ways. So I think that's what we're, we've been doing really well with is, uh, strafe jackets and pants, uh, that, you know, they're not cheap. They're $500 items for the jackets, but, um, it holds up and it breathes really well for being hot water. Have you ever used any strafe gear? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as a generalization, we've had good experiences with a range of their stuff. So, yeah. And I, I agree with you that it seems like they have evolved, uh, too. I, some of the stuff some years ago, there were some kind of weird fit issues, but, uh, they, they seem to be on a good trajectory and yeah. Good. So yeah, for outerwear, that's, that's that for us, but, but yeah, everyone's got their own preference and, you know, a lot of people still swear by Arcteryx and Arcteryx makes good product. Um, but these smaller companies are coming out of the woodwork and some of them are doing good things. We haven't talked at all about snowboarding stuff. What do you want to say on that front? I would like to just add that directional boards are are getting popular. And I think they're the appeal of the different shapes uh, myself included, you know, you start looking at these cool 
cut directional boards almost like looking at surfboards uh you just get drawn to it and say oh man that'd be be fun to ride that or you know try something new um especially as your skiing might plateau or something so i've been seeing you know especially in the the sled world a lot of people like to ride snow machines we call them up here snowmobiles in uh in snowboard boots rather than ski boots and so they'll maybe bring the snowboard in the backcountry and ski on the resort or tour on skis but bring a sled on the or bring a snowboard on their sled so it's not I, I'm not generalizing here. I'm just, I've seen a few cases of people I know that have, okay, you're seeing them on a snowboard a little bit more, um, which is fun. And I think it's only due to the fun new shapes that have come out. Do you ever get out on a board? I do. Uh, once in a while, actually, we had a a day last week where it was, I think there was like 18 new inches or something like that. And I haven't snowboarded in a while. So I got, I got a directional board out and everyone else was struggling to get the snow up in their face because it was heavy snow. And I was, <laughs> I was counting like two and three second white rooms on a board. So it was uh, fun to get back into that. But once it got chopped up, I was praying that I was on skis again. <laughs> All right. I've never been on a snowboard in my life. And I, my, I've, I've said this repeatedly to all my, all my friends have heard this, but it's like, there is no good day for me to do it now. Right. Cause like if it hasn't snowed in a while and things are really fast and firm, that is not when I feel like getting on a board. And conversely, if it's a good day and there's a bunch of fresh snow, that is not the day to be like messing around on something like when the getting's good. So I feel completely <laughs> stuck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what to well, do here. Well, I think maybe since you're right at the base there now and you can just jump out for a bit, it's time to, you know, venture out and try something new, but nothing taken away from skiing. We all love skiing. That's, that's why we're having this conversation. That's true. Well, okay. Yeah. And, and I think the answer has probably got to be like some spring slush day, right? Exactly. That's got to be the yep. answer. So I don't know. I'm still going to probably try to put it off, um, for just self-preservation <laughs> reasons. Um, yeah. and I will also say this is not a knock on snowboarding because shout out to the badass snowboarders that I see around Crested Butte. Like if you are like making your way around like quite a few like gnarly traverses and wind scoured weird sections on a board, you get props. It's really cool. And any time I see, you know, a strong snowboarder navigating terrain and we're all just kind of sidestepping or whatever we're doing on our skis. I'm like, that's super <laughs> badass, And that's like another level. Oh yeah. Oh, you can be out in the middle of, of who knows where on a little traverse here. And, you know, you can run into some total, you know, newbies and, uh, and you're like, Whoa, you guys probably shouldn't be here. But if you see a snowboarder out there, that's when you know, you're like, all right, this dude's legit. Yep. He exactly. Knows. Yep. <laughs> so shout out. Well, so then talking about snowboarding, let me ask you with the Powderhound shop, are you guys seeing more of an interest in snowboarding or are you guys carrying more snowboarding stuff or less than you used to? What's the trajectory look like on that front? Kind of, well, more than we used to. We've got a nice demo fleet of boards our retail side has been a little, you know, a little slow growth. It's definitely not something that keeps our doors open at this point, but we're seeing more interest. And I think it's partially just because we're getting a reputation for 
good service, you know, if I can toot our own horn a little bit, but it's, uh, so people tell their friends who are snowboarders, Hey, you got to check out this shop and they come in and, uh, <laughs> I had it happen yesterday. Kid came in and, Hey, I need some new boots. I work for the resort. I heard you guys with a spot and, uh, and I measure him up. I go in the back, pull out a couple of ski boots and he goes, no, I'm a snowboarder. And I was like, Oh, all right. Well, we actually don't have any snowboard boots in stock right now. But uh, <laughs> he was like, well, can you sell me some gloves? Yeah, okay, I'll sell you some gloves. But, um, you know, it's just kind of people are being sent to us because of, uh, you know, we're trying to get the best reputation we can. And, um, and so I think that's partially where we start seeing this need. And we did have a full shipment that I turned around at our door this past fall uh, of snowboard boots, bindings, boards, everything. Uh, because I didn't want to start our relation off, uh, our relationship off on the wrong foot. And uh, when it showed up two months late and they were trying to collect for shipping, which they were supposed to pay for, I said, nope, we'll try again next year. So um, so that being said, I've, we've been advertising it too. Like, hey, you know what? We're, we're going to be a full, full service on um, both sides. So um, that's kind of where that is, long story long. But uh Yeah. I wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, phantom wax and what you've, what you've been seeing from that. We just got set up as uh, we got a cure station and we've been a DPS dealer for years and uh, finally kind of got convinced that this cure station is working. I got to ski a little bit of the phantom wax myself and thought, you know, this is pretty good universal wax, but I wanted to hear your take on it. And um, I did listen to a podcast you did a while back, right? Wasn't that, that was probably last year, year before on, um, on Phantom. Yep. And, uh, what have you seen since then? Yeah. Um, the pair of skis that I personally have skied the most that have Phantom on them is a pair of DPS Cassiar 94s that just went really well. That said, I mean, we have to ski and get on so many different things that I haven't been the person like doing the like day in and day out, that's like kind of the whole shebang, right? Like, okay, well, cool. If you can make this ski well a few times, but what about this claim that like, I'm never, never using wax or waxing, you know, waxing a board again. So I personally am not in the best position to speak to that. But what I can say is from all the input that I'm getting from other blister reviewers, we're still pretty high on the product and I'm not having, I'm not you know, having people come back, our people come back and being like, dude, this thing just took a huge performance dive. And I think they were, you know, a lot of the stuff for this second year was about making that application process easier and better. It wasn't really so much about as like a performance upgrade or something. So, I mean, I can tell you this, like if I wasn't running blister and got to go back to just skiing two pairs of my favorite skis every day that I went skiing, I would have zero hesitation about putting Phantom on the bottom of those skis and calling it good. So, you know, take that for what it's worth, but yeah. Cool. Well, listen, man, this has been a really good conversation. I'm am sure that you've got to get going and I, I do too, actually. But one of the reasons you've got to get going is because you are helping out with this upcoming snowmobile race you want to tell me something about that yeah yeah yeah. we're uh we're heading up tomorrow i don't know if i'm going to be doing much helping out at all but we're going to try and run the trail and make sure it's all good to go for saturday 
it's called the Splintna 200. And uh, I wish I could be up there for the weekend, but I've got to tend to shop needs. But uh, it's a 200 mile race through, you know, some mountainous, some swampy areas. Uh, and these guys do it in about three hours. So uh, if you can uh, imagine, these guys are just ripping and they're going through everything without, you know, they're hitting over a hundred at certain points. And uh, it's kind of, uh, the iron dog race up here is the big one. That's a 2000 mile race. And these guys average on that race. They'll average, you know, 50 plus miles an hour. And it's, uh, it's kind of a, a mini little one of those. And, uh, and so the, there's people that are just straight up, you know, I'm, I'm a skier and I like to sled and ski at the same time. And I do like my days where I just get the sled out, but these guys are sled junkies and they train almost every day of the winter riding rivers going over hundred miles an hour because it's not their bodies take a toll it's like a pro skier when you're thinking about uh how much strength that say um say elise sogstead or something has in her legs for stomping these big cliffs and skiing at the speed she does the body has to be ready for that and it's not just like you're sitting down grabbing a throttle it's like you it's a full body thing running a sled and so these guys are essentially professional athletes. And, uh, so it's fun to watch them go and run parts of the course, at least, uh, try and mimic it. So that's kind of what we're doing for the next couple of days. What's the name of the event? It's called the Squentna 200. Squentna is a river. Yeah. That sounds like the most Alaska thing ever. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for, yeah. thanks for ending this on just a super stereotypical note. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to go, uh, you know, go bag an elk for dinner. And then we're going up to this 200 miles snowmobile race. And it's like, good, <laughs> keep it, keep it at AK real. I appreciate that. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, uh, someday I'm going to come visit you all. And, uh, I can't wait. I hope you do. Yeah. Yeah. Make it soon. I know I'll work on that. I'll work on that. Um, well, Eric, listen, as always, this is, it's always fun to talk and, and to get your perspective on this stuff. And, uh, yeah, I really appreciate it. And um, I'm really also glad to hear that everything just seems to be going well at at, at Powderhound. And, and um, good job, seven years in. And seven years in and growing, that's that's no small thing. So um, glad you're doing something right up there. Well, thank you. We just take it one day at a time, and that's about it. It's uh, It's been fun chatting with you again. Yeah. Well, hey, man, I'll let you go. I hope you hit some, you know, 100 mile an hour sections on this course running <laughs> and uh, can't wait to hear about that. But until uh, the next time, man, you take good care. Yeah. Thanks, Jonathan. You too. That's it for this edition of Gear 30. Thanks to Eric for the conversation. And you can check out Eric's shop on Instagram at powderhoundak. Thanks also to Luke Alley for producing this episode. And don't forget to come out to Western Colorado University this coming Thursday, March 28th at 6 p.m. to hear my live conversation with Flylo founder Dan Abrams. Also, we've been publishing a whole lot of really interesting conversations over on our Blister podcast feed. So if you haven't been checking those out recently, just do a search for Blister Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or go to our navigation bar on our website and check out what you've been missing. As always, thanks for listening. Please take good care out there, and we will talk to you again next week.